Well, hey, everybody, welcome. It's time again for Stories from Bittersweet Farm. I'm Ken Pierpont, and today's story is chapter 20 from my book, For a Few Days, Meeting God in a Cornfield. When my grandpa Pierpont was saved, he was just 12 years old. It was in a revival service at the Chatham Methodist Church in Chatham, Ohio. He was even a Methodist lay preacher when he was a boy. At the time, he sensed the call to be a pastor. But some things confused him. Something made him wonder if he was really saved. There must have been some sin, some youthful lust, some worldly tug that made him doubt his salvation. It may have been that his father contributed to his confusion with a little overzealous theology. Grandpa once told me that he stole some watermelon on a hot day. And at dinner that night, his father confronted him and told him that he doubted if he was saved since he stole. His older brother Elmer was caught chewing tobacco. And great-grandfather told him he must not be saved because saved people don't use tobacco. In our family stories about that generation, none survive that would indicate they saw the sin of anger in the same light, I'm afraid. I'm sure Satan was at work to confuse my grandfather. As a young man, he set aside his relationship with God and began to pursue many other things. He was interested in farming, boxing, baseball, and bikes. He met a pretty blue-eyed girl at the farmer's market in Newark one day. She was eight years younger than he. She was a faithful church member, but she wasn't saved. He had never really heard or clearly understood the gospel of God's grace and the truth of justification by faith, let alone the security of the believer and the perseverance of the saints. Years later, when my dad came to Christ in the Navy, the first thing he did was come home and tell his parents of Christ. Their reactions were different. Grandma was offended that the church-going of his youth was not enough for him. Grandpa had heard the gospel and knew what my dad was talking about, and tears began to run down his face as he described his childhood conversion and his drift away from God. And it wasn't long before he was restored to Christ. And soon thereafter, the gospel dawned on my grandmother, reading a tract that Dad sent home for her. Dad helped them interview pastors, and they found a good church right there in Newark, The pastor, H.E. Doyle, was a graduate of Moody Bible Institute. He became my grandfather's mentor and pastor. Grandma and Grandpa were soon baptized, and after that they began to grow like corn in August. They had developed a strong appetite for good reading, a lifelong desire to be with God's people. Their cultural Christianity turned into a sincere pursuit of Christ and regular fellowship with the people of God. They became Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night faithful until they went to be with the Lord. One fall evening, soon after his salvation, my grandfather was driving through the mellow Ohio countryside, and God was working on his heart. He sensed that God was doing a deeper work in him, and he pulled his car off the road, and he stood looking into the clear, starry sky. Listening to the voice of the Spirit and following the tug of his heart, he made a decision. On his finger was a ring that represented a soul tie and a commitment that was contrary to his new desire to pursue Christ. He felt God was telling him to break that tie. He removed the ring and he threw it into the field that night and he never looked back. From then on, his exclusive loyalty was to the local church. In Newark today, near the hospital where our daughter Heidi Grace was born, is the building of the First Christian Union Church. My grandfather was the chairman of the trustees when that building was built. Years later, it was in that very building where his funeral service would be held. I believe when my grandfather was about 12, he turned his back on a life of consecration to God. 
And then that night, under the stars on the margin of the cornfield in the rolling hills of central Ohio, he embraced the consecrated life again. And it was shortly after that my grandfather answered the call to ministry that came many, many years before. The letter to the Hebrews says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are buried outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Hebrews 13, 11 to 14. There will come a time in each of our lives if we want to live in intimate fellowship with Christ, we will have to go outside the camp and bear the reproach of Christ. We'll have to leave some things behind that we used to cherish. Many of our friends will no longer understand us or desire to be with us. We'll have to reject religious systems that are not built on the gospel of justification by faith alone. We will want to find or form a local church to devote ourselves to it. And we'll have new loyalties. We'll have new interest. If we have the life of God in us, we'll never be satisfied with a thin veneer of religious practice and religious talk. Our loyalties and schedules will be radically reoriented with the Lord as the great magnetic pole of our affections. This happened to Grandma and Grandpa Pierpont. And it's my daily prayer that will happen in each of his great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and their children for generations. Grandpa was eager to make up for lost time. He was ordained to the gospel ministry in the Christian Union campgrounds when he was 55 years old. I was there. He pastored three churches in his ministry. While he was still employed at Fiberglass, he pastored a little flock in Linville. He retired. When he retired, he took churches of Cooney and Grand Rapids, Ohio, and then he turned to returned to pastor the little church in Linville for the rest of his life. I don't think a single recording of my grandfather exists, but we still have a briefcase full of his typewritten messages. They, they formed in his heart while farming his hillside farm in Licking County, he typed them out, and he, he drove to Linville on the Lord's Day, and on Wednesday night, he delivered them to his small congregation. The trip to Linville was scenic. From Newark, they would drive south with wide fields and high hills and green vistas all around. The drive to Linville bisected forest and river field and wood vales and flowers and trees. As a child living in mostly flat suburbia, I silently wondered if Grandma and Grandpa really knew how beautiful their parish was, how blessed they were to get to drive out there week after week prepared for worship by the beauty of the earth. The old National Road has a storied history. It started in Cumberland, Maryland, and it stretched west all the way to Vandalia, Illinois, Illinois, before the project ran out of funding. Today, such roads have been displaced by the interstate highway system. The interstate highway system is a fast, safe, uniform, mundane way of getting where you want to go in a car. For the conveniences afforded by the highway system, you have to sell a little piece of your soul, and you have to pawn, you have to pawn a chunk of your time. In the interstate, the constant whine of tires on the concrete drowns out the music of crickets in the ditch or peepers on the pond. And you'll not usually be close enough to see the undulating flight of a goldfinch along the road. And you won't pass beneath an arc of stately old maples along Main Street or see the children playing in the yard. And out in the uniform stretch of concrete interstate highway, you won't have to slow down behind an Amish buggy or a farmer hauling hay. 
You'll never have to stop to watch children disembark from a bright yellow bus or kick their way through fallen leaves on a September afternoon. The bridges and restaurants and filling stations and signs all look the same. You won't usually find unique diners along the way. You'll usually be insulated from any unique character or color of the communities through which you pass. The nature of the system tries to avoid passing through any place where people cluster or congregate or trade or talk or learn or love or commune because those are the kinds of things that slow us down and interfere with our getting places. If you take the interstate, there are things you're unlikely to see. You won't pass little white clabbered chapels with belfries and cemeteries like the one my grandpa pastored in the wide spot along the national highway they call Linville. Across the highway from the church is one of the historic National Highway mile markers. The marker features the distance to Cumberland, Maryland, and Wheeling, West Virginia, the other way to Columbus, Ohio. Grandpa always liked to tell a joke about Irish immigrants mistaking the marker for a gravestone of a fellow named Columbus who died at whatever age the mile marker said it was to the state capitol. It's not a story I could properly tell, and it wasn't really funny. I'm fairly certain my grandpa made it up himself, but I'd love to have captured the telling of that story on a video. The Linfield Church was on Route 40 on a section of the National Highway, and the church sat on the north side of the road on a rising bank, and behind the church was the Linville Cemetery, and beside the church for many years was Double Outhouse, the side nearest the church for the ladies, and men were on the far side. Across the road, on the south side, the, the ground fell away into a valley. At the close of Sunday services of good weather, Grandpa and Grandma would stand on the steps outside the church in the sun, greet the parishioners. It was as beautiful a country setting as any country parson could have desired. I remember playing there after the services and the good, honest country smells and the sound of the bell carrying out over the valley. Grandpa was in the ministry for 16 years. In the years before the well was drilled and the bathrooms installed, they carried their own water in a jug every Sunday. I don't know if they ever had Sunday evening services. In fact, I know that for many years, Grandma and Grandpa attended evening services at Maple Avenue Christian Union Church, and occasionally they would visit First Christian Union Church or Newark Baptist Temple. On Wednesday evenings, they did have prayer meeting. They would drive out, open up the church for the few who would attend. Once a week, Grandpa would go out and do some calling in the area. Sometimes he'd visit from home to home, seeking people who would allow him to engage him in a conversation about the gospel. He used a simple, clear gospel presentation. He would show people a few verses from Romans in his New Testament. He was simple and direct and clear. He never wanted to obscure the gospel or confuse people about how to be saved. He was saved in the little church in Chatham as a boy, but because of confusing teaching and later theological liberalism, he wasted years of his life without the assurance of salvation and without effectively living for God. Along those lush country roads were some who Grandpa led to Christ. If they had children at home, they would not often stay in Linville Church, but they would usually find the church in town that offered a full schedule of programs. Many, many years later, I would run into people around Newark who were saved or influenced for Christ through my grandfather's simple, brief ministry. I hope you will hear of me someday, what I heard of him one evening in a church in Newark. I knew your grandpa. He led me to Christ. 
That's the story from out on Bittersweet Farm today, where every day is a beautiful day and a little light in the kitchen.